We play and call it work. Hey everybody, Matthew here from MiniWorkingMe.com and welcome to this week's Sit and Talk, our show where we just answer your questions about whatever you want to ask. We rotate every week who's going to be on the show. Next week will be Josh and Colin. Colin is our full-time video editor and you may have seen him in lots of other videos. He's not in videos currently, but he's been in lots of videos in the past. A lot of Warhammer Fantasy, heck even 40K and Age of Sigmar as well. And so you can ask them whatever questions you like by leaving a comment below, either on our website or on YouTube. It doesn't matter. We check them both. And don't forget, whenever a sit and talk comes out, also an open vault comes out, which is a behind the scenes show exclusively for our vault members. And it gets you to see what we're working on. Also just fun, random conversations that we have. It's a fun show to watch. You can watch that right now by clicking the link below. We'll make sure you finish the sit and talk first and then you can go watch that. If you're not a Vault member, please consider becoming one. It helps support us and you get access to thousands of videos, battle reports, painting tutorials if you're a Silver Vault member, uh, behind the scenes and narrative campaigns, all sorts of stuff. And you can get a free seven day trial. You just click the link below and go start it right now. So let me just jump right into the questions. First one from Fear the Nads. Hey Matt, you can call me Mark. <laughs> Don't mind the username, it's actually my last name and not what you think. Better to embrace it though. All right, Mark Fear the Nads. Sure, that's not what it actually is. The Expendables campaign got me thinking. How would you feel about making a narrative campaign that pitted two factions against each other instead of the game's master controlling the enemies, having a player actively trying to succeed or impede against the other side, and having unique level ups for each, and designing the story around how the missions turn out? It sounds like it would be a lot harder to run as you risk changing things on a mission-to-mission -mission basis. But do you think there's merit in the idea? Do you think it would function in the typical narrative campaign format or would be left best left to a Path to Glory type campaign? Keep up the great work. Uh, we could totally do that. The, the trick with that, it makes it a little harder because of balancing. And see, uh, with a Games Master run one, when I write the upgrade systems, I don't have to worry about whether the upgrade systems are broken or not, because I can just adjust the difficulty if I find out, oh, these guys have gotten a little too good, so I guess I need to make the missions a little harder. But if you're just playing like trying to keep it fair, you need somebody who's unbiased, then that's usually the Games Master. Uh, and he, he's the one that can can look at it and be like, oh, I think you're getting too strong, the missions are becoming too easy, so let's make them harder. Whereas if it's like, hey, you're getting too good, so now I'm going to bring more guys because I think you're too good, but then you might be wrong in whether they're too good or not. So it's definitely harder to write a story-driven one. Not, not totally. I think um, if you put enough work into it, you can make it happen, but it is definitely more difficult. I would say if you're going to have a player versus player, a PvP without a Games Master or Game Master, then it's better to use a system like Crusade or Path to Glory, some a third-party system so that you know it's impartial, even if it's not technically balanced, at least it's not your imbalance, it's somebody else's imbalance. And if you want to tell a story around it, absolutely you can do that. You would just have to keep the story simple, like uh, it's an invasion of a world, and so we're going to make a tree. So often what you can do is you can make a tree campaign, and you have the starting mission, and then if, you, if the player A wins, you play this mission, if player B wins, you play this mission, and this happens in the story. And, um, and, and that, that can kind of progress and create, it's like a choose your own adventure except based on who wins the battle reports. It does require you to create the entire tree, which means you're creating 90% stuff that you're not going to use because you're only going to go down one path of the tree and the rest is going to be remain untouched. Um, but it's totally doable. You just have to keep it simpler. Uh, how, would we do that? I don't know. I think we'll restrict the PvP to the, like, um, the systems that are designed for that, like maybe Necromunda or Gorka Morka, or for 40k or AOS, you got Path to Glory and the Crusade systems. That would work better for PvP. And you can do modifications to them, as long as it's modifications that 
benefit both players. Like I know Dave and Scari are filming a crusade campaign right now, and they basically are playing it as is. The only modification is they're doubling the amount of experience that you get, just because they don't want to have to play 30 games to see people upgrading. They want it to be a shorter campaign, and yet still see some of the upgrades come through. And they're finding that that's actually been a good balance and pace. They've been enjoying it a lot, and you'll get to see that coming out very soon. So it's not a bad idea, it's a good idea. It just takes a lot more work to, to make sure it works. And I still, I've, I've, what I have done in the past is PvP campaigns with a Game Master. And so I create the story so that either side could win, and then I, and I kind of run them through that story. And so they have no control over the story or the upgrades, uh, except maybe to choose upgrades when they get experience. Uh, but there's always a Game Master to mediate the whole thing. PG Candle, hey Matt. I have been seeing quite a few people on different sites saying there is not enough Age of Sigmar content to include mini wargaming comments on different videos. To include mini wargaming, I'm not sure you what you mean by that. Not enough Age of Sigmar content to include mini wargaming comments on different videos. I do not think this topic should be flushed out. I do think this topic should be flushed out more. How do you think Games Workshop can assist in getting Age of Sigmar into a stronger hole in North America? I'm not sure I fully understand your first thing. Like, are you so? So like, are you saying that there's not enough Age of Sigmar content on our site, that if somebody else would say, here's a bunch of different places you can go to see Age of Sigmar content, that we wouldn't be included on that? Is that what you're saying? That's interesting, because um, I, I agree, we don't, comparatively speaking, we don't do a lot of Age of Sigmar, but we put out one battle report per week on YouTube, and a lot of other channels, if they're even an Age of Sigmar channel, uh, that's what they'd be putting out. They just don't also put out all the other stuff. So it kind of, it's like a, it's a perception thing, and I'm sure there are channels that put out more Age of Sigmar content every week. And we technically we put out two if you're a vault member. But I'm just saying for those who are just looking at the free stuff. And um, it's, it's tough. Uh, but I'm trying to... The, the perception of it is always hard. It's, this has happened so many times over the course of, the, of Mini Wargaming's history. If we increase production of another type of game and don't touch how much we put out of another game, we'll inevitably get lots of comments, not just a few, but lots, over the next few months saying, you guys don't put out as much of this content as you used to. And it's like, well, actually, we're putting out the same amount. We're just putting out more content overall, and so the percentage looks lower. And so that, it's a perception thing, and I understand that. That's, that's you know, you, you, sometimes you look at it, my value is based off the percentage of my usage, which isn't always accurate. Like, if, you, if you're like, I, I have my Netflix account, and I'm paying $15 a month for it, and um, there's a thousand video, or there's a thousand movies in there, but I only watch like five of them, so I'm only getting 0.5% usage. I'm not really getting much. There's not a lot of good stuff on there. It's like yes, but even if you just rented those five movies, at, let's say a cheap five dollars a movie, that's twenty-five dollars in rentals, and you paid fifteen dollars for that, so that was worth it. So there's two ways to look at it, but often people will look at how much of the product am I getting to use, and so I'm not getting the full value. And therefore, I shouldn't. I don't want to pay that full price. So you know, I, I understand that 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 perception does happen. But to answer your next questions, how do you think Games Workshop can assist in getting Age of Sigmar to a stronger hold in North America? Well, I think they're doing everything they can. They're they're doing social media stuff. They're posting videos about it. They have their Twitch channel. They're making great products and pushing those products. Obviously, 40K is being pushed more right now because Ninth Edition just came out, and so they have a lot of updates to do. And also, 40K is is their cash cow, so that's going to get more attention than Age of Sigmar. That's just natural. And um, if, that, if Age of Sigmar gets more and more popular, then they'll naturally readjust to that. Um, how can Games Workshop increase visibility to Age of Sigmar, and how would you address it if you were on the board of directors? Once again, I think they're doing everything they can. It's just a matter of, there, there's, there's a lot of things out of their control. 
And one of those things would be the consumer tastes for different kinds of genres. And so we've seen that kind of ebb and flow, especially in North America. I know, like for example, Warhammer Fantasy versus Warhammer 40,000. Early on, Warhammer Fantasy was dominating, right? And then 40K comes in and became the, they became the dominant factor over time. But it, hit, it happened in North America first, I believe, that 40K became more popular than Fantasy. And then over in Europe, Fantasy stayed more popular than 40K for quite a while. And it took a while before that to switch. And I'm pretty sure that's, that, that, now, that switch is now there. And that can be due to, like if you look at the movies that were coming out, and because sci-fi wasn't, like sci-fi has always been a thing in theaters, obviously, since movies started. But when you really look at the types of movies, I remember doing an analysis of this because I did an interview um, with, uh, with the historical Wargaming channel, Little Wars TV, I'm trying to remember the name, I'm so sorry I forgot. And we were talking about this, and um, I was like, I wonder why historical isn't more popular. And then I looked at movies being made over the decades since like the 1920s. And when you look at it, through the 20s till about the 70s, the main movies being made were historical movies. Um, even if they were fictional historical, but they still covered historical things. Um, like Rome, and like uh, Christian stuff, and like... Yeah, all that kind of stuff. There, there's a lot of those kind of pieces. And then we hit the 70s and we start getting movies like Star Wars. And then we start getting movies like Alien. And we start getting Star Trek becoming more popular. And we start getting all of these different sci-fi things that really start to explode. And that, of course, affects what people want to consume. Like for me, for example, I got into miniature wargaming. Well, technically as a kid playing Battletech because I walked in the store and saw big robots and I thought that was cool. But as an adult through Lord of the Rings, because me and my wife just love Lord of the Rings. I read the book several times as a kid. When the movies came out, I absolutely loved them, and I watched them over and over. We like watched them like every six months, one of those kind of things, right? And so when I saw it, when I walked into the Games Workshop store, I wasn't attracted to the Warhammer stuff. In fact, I was like, no, that's not for me. But then a guy showed me the Lord of the Rings stuff, and I was like, cool, this is really neat, and that got me into it. So what got me into wargaming was movies and books that I'd already read that had nothing to do with miniature wargaming. And then I found the game that was in my interest. So could Games Workshop have sold Warhammer 40K better to me back then? Not really, I just wasn't interested in that aesthetic. I got into 40K because we started this business and we knew it was the most popular so we had to cover it. I've grown to really like it since, but especially in the aesthetic and the story and the lore, not, it didn't really appeal to me at first, but now I've, I've grown to really like it, but that didn't appeal to me. And so that's the hard thing that they have to go up against, that Age of Sigmar is not just fantasy, but it's high magic fantasy, which of course will be attractive to some and not to others. So they're already doing their best. They're making fantastically cool looking models. That's subjective obviously, but I'm pretty sure everybody can agree at least to a certain degree that they're doing a good job with the models. There might be individual models you don't like, but overall they're great. The rules, you know, you can contest that until you're blue in the face. Uh, you're gonna find problems with rule sets in all sorts of games. But overall, this, the rules work. They're, they're straightforward enough and they do work. Um, and they're promoting the heck out of it. They work really hard with retailers. They have their online presence with the Warhammer community. They're, I think they're doing everything they can. So what could they do to make Age of Sigmar more visible? Well, the same thing, it's not like they would just choose for Age of Sigmar. They just, they just want to improve their brand overall. And I don't, I don't have any other ideas for them besides what they're already doing. Three or four, like four or five years ago, I would have said, why aren't you online? Why aren't you running your own YouTube channel? Besides like just the little tiny bit that you've been doing. But they've since even started doing that with the Warhammer community. Their Twitch channel and YouTube channel and social media presence. They've really been doing a good job with that. 
Um, so to continue what you're saying, GW sells more 40K stuff than AOS in North America as opposed to Europe. It appears 40K content both here and elsewhere has AOS by about 3 to 1. That might be true. If Mini Wargaming opted to do more AOS and not 40K, there will always be another group out there that could fill that void, thus interrupting Mini Wargaming business model for potential growth. Thoughts? Thanks, Paul. Yeah, see, that's the problem. We're kind of trapped, and I use that word I, I, kindly, into having to really focus on 40K. You know, people are always like, oh, you're just a... You just do Games Workshop stuff. And it's like, well, they're the most popular and we need to make money. And if you look at channels that don't do 40K, like find me a popular one that does non-40K battle reports that, that gets nearly the same amount of views as we do. Um, and you're going to have a hard time. The, the channels that really rival ours, the ones that are getting similar or more views than us, usually focus on 40K. And we're talking about battle report channels. Lore channels, there's, there's a few of them. And there's, then there's the channels that mix like the lore and video games, and so they're hard to compare as well. Um, but yeah, 40K is still dominant. Like you can try to cover Star Wars Legion, you have War Machine and Hordes, you've got all sorts of skirmish games out there. Heck, you even got all the specialist games from Games Workshop themselves. But in the end, Warhammer 40K is what is going to dominate, at least for the next while. Uh, I'd love for Age of Sigmar to dominate more because I'd love to do more Age of Sigmar content. But we've got to be cognizant of the, what we spend our time on and make sure it's best used to grow our business. So if I, like people are like, you've got the dream job and we do, but what would really be the dream job is play whatever I want. And if I was playing whatever I want, you wouldn't see as much 40K, not because it's not a good game, but because there's a lot of other stuff out there that we would love to play more of. Um, but that's what we're kind of tied to doing. Rico Chetarn. Rico Chetarn. Hey there, what would you say to the idea of Vampire Coast coming to Age of Sigmar? Yay or nay, good sir. Vampire Coast. Not sure what that is. Is that from Warhammer Fantasy? I'm not I'm super familiar with the Warhammer Fantasy lore. Mentality. Greetings, program. Do you remember your Gene Steelers match with Josh? Which one? I really wonder what would happen if you chose to go second. I would love to see a combo bat rep where the first game is played as normal and the vault vid is exactly the same, including the same deployment, but then you switch who goes first. Is this possible? Well, of course it's possible. It's just not what we want to do because that means we've got to spend that pairing becomes even less uh, diverse because we're only filming two full battle reports for 40k a week. And then we got the incursion ones, which are the thousand point ones. And so we're already only covering so many armies. And so having those two be the two same lists brings our diversity down even more. And you'll have people complaining that we don't cover enough of other armies. So that's not something that we're going to do. It's a cool idea if we could film faster, but it takes us almost a full day to film a 40k battle report. And it doesn't take a full day to play a 40k battle report, but there's a significant difference in how long it takes to film a game as opposed to playing a game. So it's a cool idea, but I, I can say for sure it's not one that we're going to be doing, at least not in the near future. Baron Von Bobo, great name. Hola, hola Matt. I recently got back into Warhammer after my wife got interested in painting models. We got her a Heathen Knights of Slanesh start collecting box. I had picked up the Eidneth Deepkin start collecting box. Recently, she picked up the Realms of Chaos Wrath and Rapture box to supplement it, thus getting me into murder demons, so the Corn demons. My question, I'm looking to get back into 40K. Haven't played since 4th edition. Oof, that's where I started. I currently have Imperial Guard and Space Marines. I'm looking to start a new army, and I'm leaning heavily towards playing a Xenos army this time around. I'm heavily leaning towards Tyrannus and Gene Cults. But could you break down how 9th edition is for various Xenos for me? Yes. Um... I can't say for sure exactly where they all line up in the meta for tournaments, but Gene Sither Cults is pretty much bottom tier right now. So if you're playing Gene Sither Cults, you're playing 40k on hard mode. 
Now, that's okay if your local meta is not super competitive, or if you're mostly playing against your wife, who, you know, she plays an army that's not Space Marines, super efficient Space Marines, because you'll just never win a game. Um, at least, it'll be much more difficult. Tyranids are lower tier, not as bad as Genesis other calls. There are several ways, and they're actually winning tournaments right now, so some people will be like, no, Matthew, they're high tier. It's like, no, 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 there's one high tier list, which is just swarm the table with gaunts until you're blue in the face. That, to me, is not Tyranids, although that is a way to play Tyranids, but Tyranids overall, with a variety of lists that you could bring for them, are maybe close to mid-tier, depending on how you play them. There's a couple ways to play them that are higher tier, but overall, if you're going to get into them, you're not going to immediately want to buy 200 models and paint them all up. Um, Tau. Tau is kind of mid-tier right now, too. Uh, once again, people might are, are going to disagree, and that's fine. Uh, it, but usually what will happen is there will be one particular list that will perform particularly well. But I'm talking overall, tower around mid-tier. The, um, the Eldari, so Eldar, Dark Eldar, Harlequins tend to perform in the upper tier right now. Um, especially Harlequins were doing really well at first. I'm not sure how it is right now because we don't actually do a lot of the Eldari stuff here at the office. Nobody's super interested in them right now. Um, but I'd say out of all the Xenos, they're probably, like Harlequins and Eldar are the, the stronger of the Xenos, and Genes of the Cults are at the bottom. But they're like, so cool, I just love the Genes of the Cults so much. So it just depends on your local meta. Are you going to your store and everybody's bringing Space Marines? Well, don't get Genes of the Cults, get Eldar, or maybe Tau. Oh, there's Necrons too. Necrons um, are pretty good right now. Well, they just got a new Codex, I'd say they're mid to top tier. Um, I, I, it's hard to say because their Codex just came out, but they're, you can play them and they're going to play well. Um, but it's hard because Space Marines are just so powerful that it's hard to make comparisons to, to the thing that's so good. Whereas usually, I like it when Space Marines are more like mid-tier because then you can always compare to them. Because it's like, oh, how good are they against Space Marines? Well, they're really good or they're not that good. And it's a good comparison. Dubia! Okay, long comment and I apologize. First off, I haven't played any tabletop games in almost 10 years. And I still subscribe just because you all have an ama amazing dynamic with each other and are so fun to watch. Well, thank you. I actually still watch StarCraft videos, and I don't play StarCraft anymore, so I, I kind of get that. You all are true heroes, and your content is always amazing, so thank you. Well, thank you. As to my actual question, I was wondering if there was any chance there could be a progressive campaign with armies. Could there be a large map of continents and a total points amount to be allocated to taking and holding regions and, in, and objectives? Single matches being played on these regions and objectives for bonuses and benefits, but losses in these games being permanent. Could be even more than two armies to include more people. And taking a few days to decide moves. All players would get together to share moves and armies. So yeah, I, I get what you're kind of saying. It's um, a map-based campaign where you're actually tracking where the armies are. We've actually talked about doing that. And so it's on our radar. It's a, it's a bit more um, work to get that coordinated, especially if you're going to involve more than two players. But it is a cool idea that we've talked about doing, and, and Luca is particularly interested in this. So if we can figure out a way to make a simple enough system because if it's not a simple system, then you're going to be basically playtesting something for the first season, and maybe it will be total garbage. But the and you want it to be good right off the bat. So simpler usually makes it easier, because then you're just relying on the, the core rules to balance it. Um, but yeah, we have talked about that. Even like to the point of you know playing Battlefleet Gothic for void control, and then kill team for the small games. Like that's that's even more complicated, but it could be interesting. Baron von Bobo again. I support. Oh, this is reply. I support this idea. Those were my favorite campaigns to be part of back in the early 2000s at my local games workshop. Yeah, it's something, uh, yeah, it's something we should do. It, it does come up. Sorry, my wife is texting me. I think my daughter, yeah, my daughter fell and her chin got split open. Yikes. She's got to go to the hospital for stitches. 
is she okay? The school called me right before this, but they said they, said they got a hold of my wife, so she's taking care of it. Sad. She's four. She's just got started kindergarten. She falls like crazy all the time, but now it looks like it was bad enough that she's actually getting stitches. So I'm just going to be watching the text for that. So don't mind me. Okay, Felix, or Falk, sorry. Hi, Matthew. Two questions for you. Any chance of a narrative campaign with Gene Cedar calls as the heroes? If this has already been done, pardon my ignorance. I'm relatively new to the vault. We have not yet done them as the heroes. I have thought of that, and it, there is definitely a chance. I don't plan my narrative campaigns that far out. The next one that I'm working on is an Imperial Knights campaign. So that is what's coming up next. And what resources do you recommend looking into for people who are new to making narrative campaigns? Oof. There's, saying narrative campaign is a very broad category. There's different kinds of campaigns you can do. You have the game master story-driven campaigns where there's a game master who just dictates everything. You've got like crusade campaigns where you don't need a game master and you're just playing more competitive, but you can still make a story out of it. You've got like leagues you can do like Blood Bowl or Gorkamorka or Necromunda or heck, even with 40K or AOS. Um, so it depends on the type of campaign. You're not going to find one resource out there. Dave and I have actually talked about making a book that would be like this resource for how to make narrative campaigns for you and your local buddies. Would you be interested in that, by the way? I'd love to know, because we'd consider doing it. It'd be a lot of work. We'd probably have to do a Kickstarter for it to make it worthwhile, because it'd be a lot of work to, to write that, that kind of book, like an actual physical book. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, it's, there, there's not anywhere I can think of except just to kind of see what we do. We try to share, we have a site, part on our site, miniwargaming.com. If you go to uh, tools and rules, there's in the menu, that, that we post all the rules we make. So you're welcome to use those however you like, modify them, uh, totally change them as you like, use them as is, it's up to you. They're designed for us, so I keep my player in mind when I'm designing them, so you might have to flesh them out for your players, but you're welcome to use them however you like. So that's about the only resource I can suggest right now. Mylin at Game Master. <laughs> I've noticed most of your battle reports that aren't campaigns have been against Josh lately. Are you just getting lucky in what you keep play playing him? Or is it some grand design that you want to play against the best mini wargaming has to offer? Uh, we had a two-week period where that was my only choice. Not that I don't like playing against Josh, but it's just the way it worked out. Luca and, and um, Steve were filming a, the second edition 40k narrative or campaign or games for a whole week. And the week before that... They were finishing another campaign, I think the Expendables campaign with Dave. So it just worked out that it was just me and Josh that were available. So that's, that was last week and the week before, so you'll still see a few more battle reports with us, but I think that's about it. And now I've been playing, like I've already played games against Steve and Luca this week, so you'll see those coming up soon. Second, I keep wanting to get into Necromunda, but the amount of rules and books and card sets is so overwhelming. How does one get into this game? I actually made a video about this. You can look it up on our YouTube channel about how to get into Necromunda. It is still valid, even though they've come up with more books, because those books are just supplements that you don't need to start off. It's not as bad to get into it now, so go watch that video. But essentially, it depends on what gangs you want to start with. If you want to start with the six, one of the six normal gangs, I mean like the core gangs, then you just need the main core rule book and then the gang warfare book is I think what it's called. And that's it. That's all you need to get started. All the other books that come out are different ways to play the campaigns. So they have unique campaigns and they also introduce other types of, um, of gangs. And they're super cool. Necromunda is so cool. I wish we could play it more. Um, it's just, uh, once again, the whole popularity thing, right, of, of what we need to focus on. Um, and then there's the House of Fill-in-the-Blank books, and those are just supplements to the six gangs for the most part. And so if you get into Goliath, for example, uh, I can't remember, if, no, House of Iron. 
there's, there's basically one book that would be a supplement that introduces new rules and new models to that. But you can just start with the core thing and just get the core gang starter set. So just keep it simple. Start there. I think they also have the starter boxes. That if, you, if you want those gangs that are in those boxes, you can always start with that as well. And that's more all combined. It gives you the terrain and the mats and all that kind of stuff too. Uh, but that's where you should start. But it is a little overwhelming. But yeah, most games are when you first get into them. 40k and AOS might feel easier because it's rulebook and then battle tomes. But um, yeah, this one, it's a little more spread out where all the rules are because it focuses really well on the campaigns. And the campaigns are super cool now. Much better than when it first came out. Mandig, Matt, why are Stormcast Eternals in such a pl bad place? Has their shock and awe identity been taken away now that they have so many armies can do the same? Or is it the prevalence of mortal wounds and two damage attacks? What are your thoughts about Stormcast and how could they be improved? It's, um, it's, it's, it's simple. Super, super simple answer to that. It's just called power creep. What happens is when a new codex or battletome comes out, Games Workshop is not in the business of making it balanced compared to the previous ones. And so it always one-ups the previous stuff. And so once you've one-upped a few times, stuff that hasn't come out for a while is left in the dust, with few exceptions, unless something was so powerful that it takes all that one-upping just to get it to a, a level playing field. Stormcast Eternals, where obviously you know, got lots of releases, but early on. And so they haven't been updated for a while, and so the points have been adjusted in the General's Handbook, but not sufficiently to make certain things really worthwhile. There are still viable Stormcast lists, usually involving the Sacrosanct side of things, um, to all their spellcasters, but for the most part, yeah, it's just it's just that that is a, that is the plain and simple rule. Unfortunately, and this is one big criticism I have for Games Workshop. Other companies do it too, but I've noticed it particularly in 40k and Age of Sigmar that power creep that whenever they come out with a new thing, it has to just trump previous things rather than just trying to find a nice balance and and, make, and giving it interesting rules rather than just more powerful versions of the same rules you've seen before. And that's that's a generalized criticism. Like there's still cool, unique things that come out in these books um, that make them feel kind of like their own thing. Um, but overall, that's kind of what happens. When you compare things like, you look at the Varengard, for example. I was complaining about them in a battle report. Um, they're so cool. The models are cool. They're supposed to be super powerful. When you look at their stats, though, they're just meh. For their points, and there's things that can just you can bring that are much better than them in chaos, and because they're old models and there's no interest in selling them, Games Workshop doesn't really care to update their rules, which is just too bad because they're such neat models, uh, and you can still buy them. So I just I wish that they would worry more about that. It is a very complex game, so it's hard to keep everything perfectly balanced. I get that, but when a Battletome comes out and just so just obviously one ups everything from before, it's like everything you can do I can do better, then it's it's just that that's an issue, right? And so that's, that's, what, that's what these games are, unfortunately. If you're going to get into these games, you have to accept the fact that the older your book gets, more likely the less powerful your army will be. And you'll have to adjust for the meta if you can afford to keep up with buying all the new models and all the stuff that you need to, to do that. So it's, it's a big criticism I have towards Games Workshop's way of building these games. They do such a good job on so many aspects, but that's one aspect I think they really need to rethink. It's, it seems like it's like good for their bottom line because it really forces people into buying new stuff, but it's not good for the hobby. And that might sound like, well, they need to be altruistic, but that's not what I mean. Like, it's kind of longevity. It's, uh, you, you, bur you probably burn through your customers a lot faster that way too. Like, it's harder to stay interested in the game when 10 books have come out in six months and they're all better than the book that you just had. And you're waiting for yours. And then it comes out, and maybe it's super awesome, or maybe it's not. But if it's not, oh boy, are you, in a, are you bummed out? Because now you've got to wait a few more years before you have a chance of getting any better rules for your army. Or you go and collect a new army and spend thousands of dollars doing that. Not everybody can afford to do that. 
So it's unfortunate, but it is, it is the way that they have kind of turned when it comes to these things. Like I said, probably good for their bottom line, which when you're a, a public business run by, or, and you have your shareholders, it's what you worry about most. And it does, it's not about making sure the hobby is as good as it can be. It's making sure you make as much money as possible, which, you know, is not an evil thing. It's just unfortunate for the hobby. Archives 13. Matthew is wondering, since the last Death Watch campaign revisited Batarak, will the next revisit Tyrus and advance the storyline of the Sentinels of the Forge? No plans yet for that, so I don't know the answer to that question yet. Boomer73. Hi, Matt. Will you be playing any 40k games using the open war cards for 9th edition? Um, yes. Not, I, we don't have any plans yet, but totally. I've been looking to kind of switch out of doing the typical missions because they're all kind of the same. They, all, they pretend to be different, but it's like, how many objectives are on the table? Is it four? Is it five? Is it six? Okay. How many do you have to hold to get that five, 10, and 15 points? And what's the kind of secondary that might matter? But for the most part, oh, and you, and you deploy this way, not this way, or you go deploy this way or this way. It's like, they're all the same mission. That's what they feel like. And so, yeah, it'd be nice to play some open war where it's just like a little more crazy antics and stuff. Kurtz to you. Hey, Matt, I just got into Dark Eldar Jukari and wanted to know what you thought of them in ninth edition. Um, I don't really have any thoughts on them. We haven't really played them much here, or I haven't played against them. And so I don't really know how good they are and how fun they are to play. So sorry, I don't have much opinion. I don't have much of an opinion on that. I'm also probably going to be jumping into Harlequins to supplement the force in larger games. Well, Harlequins, I know I've, uh, at least early on in ninth edition, we're doing really well. So see how that goes. Phil Hitchings. Hey, Matt, can you generate subtitles for the vault content? It's great to have it on YouTube content, and I miss not having it on the vault stuff. The YouTube stuff is automatic. We don't generate those. To generate subtitles would be incredibly expensive, and I'm not, I don't want to be um, insensitive to people who are hard of hearing or deaf, um, but uh, it's, it's not something that's kind of within our budget to be able to do. We're talking about hour to two hour long videos. It's expensive to hire a company to make subtitles for videos that long, that consistently. So it, it's, it's, kind of, it's out of our budget, unfortunately. Otherwise, I'd love to do it. Allusion. Hey, Matt, what are the top three strongest AOS units in your opinion? And what are the top three worst units in AOS? Well, boy, I am not a meta follower to any extreme. Um, individual units, that is hard to point out. Um, there is certain combos, like obviously the carriage on Overlord's combo with the Barak, whatever, the one, the one lodge or house that can can teleport forward in the hero phase and then they can bring a spell on a bottle and they throw out the Skaven Warp Lightning thing. That's, uh, that's incredibly powerful right now. Hearthguard Berserkers are incredibly powerful in the Fire Slayers. Worst units in AOS? I don't know. Pick. There's tons of worst units in AOS. You know, half the Stormcast Eternal Battletome. Um, anything that's Legends. So anything that's you know, there's a bunch of stuff in Cities of Sigmar that are garbage. Cities of Sigmar is a great book, but, you know, it has a lot of old models, and so a lot of those don't receive any good rules. Um, the, the five non-character characters for the Gloomspike Gets, uh, they're pretty bad. <laughs> like, I can go on. I can, just, I can pick, like, things from each army that are bad. Miso Miso! Hey, Matt, have you played either of Among Us or Fall Guys? I have not. It would be great to have Mini Wargaming Crew play Among Us for a session and call and edit it. I, we have not played that. I don't even know what that is. Two, last time you said you were still playing D&D, have you finally finished Curse of Strahd and or Tomb of Annihilation? And if so, can we have a review and what do you want to play next? Oh yeah, we finished those a long time ago, right before the pandemic hit. We finished both campaigns roughly around the same time. So back in March, I want to say, late February, early March, we finished them. 
We have since played, uh, so, so we still have two campaigns going on. Luke is no longer the, the dungeon master for the one because he's not interested in doing online D&D. So once we get back in person, he'll take over. And so I took over that one. And I did a homebrew one first. And then we are currently doing um, Waterdeep Dragon Heist, which we're almost done. And for the Tomb of Annihilation side, we jumped into Ghosts of Saltmarsh. We did the last two chapters of that, heavily modified to fit into the storyline that I'm creating and some side quests along the way. So my review, Curse of Strahd and Tomb Annihilation are both fantastic modules, but like any module I've been finding for D&D as a game master, you need to be ready to heavily improvise and modify. Uh, there are great supplements that you can find on the DMs Guild for both of these. There's one on Tomb of, for Tomb Annihilation I love. It's, um, uh, it's a supplement for Tomb Annihilation that like writes out the first 100 days of your travel in the jungle, and it makes it super interesting. I've been using it to actually play it with my son and um, it's made the job way easier as a game master because the jungle travel can be quite boring um, and monotonous and grindy, but this, uh, the I think it's called a companion, Tomb Annihilation Companion or something on DM's Guild, and uh, it's just fantastic. So yeah, I recommend doing research, like uh, slyflourish.com, slyflourish is a really cool website, the, the guy on there, Mike something, Mike Shea or something, he writes fantastic articles on how to play these, and he's written ones on Fortune Annihilation and Curse of Strahd and various others as well. And I really, I usually really like his suggestions. Curse of Strahd is fantastic. Uh, it took me a while to kind of get into it, but after we kind of got into it, I, I realized this is a really neat module for you if you if you dungeon master it right and play it right, going with the right mindset. And so, and Luca did a great job with that, and so we had a lot of fun there. So that's what we're currently doing. We just finished a Ghost of Salt Marsh. Um, we are playing right now. In that one campaign, the Stygian Library, which is an open, what do you call it, OST or something like that. It's one I have to, to it's, it's one I bought off of DM's Guild, and then I have to convert it to 5th edition. And then when we're finished Waterdeep Dragon Heist, I'm not sure what we're going to do next. Maybe Dungeon the Mad Mage. I like the modules because I don't have time to homebrew everything. I prefer to start with the module and then homebrew. But Tomb Annihilation and Curse of Strahd, definitely top of the list. The Ghost of Saltmarsh ones were cool too, but that book is more like a bunch of little adventures. They're not all linked together, except for the fact that they're all open sea or high sea or coastal adventures. That's kind of the point there. Three, you once mentioned that we could have a Warhammer Fantasy old world campaign sometime. Is it on the schedule anytime soon? I've been thinking about that recently, so in fact just this morning I was thinking of that, so you may see one soon. I can't promise anything, but we'll see. Fuzzlet, hi Matt, nice to see some more NIDS content again. Would love to see you try that all spore mine list just to be silly. Possibly with a bunch of ripper swarms in there too. Would be a great matchup for Luca and an endless horde of scarabs. Uh, yeah, unfortunately the rule of three limits how many I could bring. But I was thinking of, uh, there's the one stratagem that you can bring in more spore mines. And so I just have to reserve the points and then pay the stupid amount of command points to, that's so dumb that it's like a lot, it's like three command points to bring in to bring in more models and add them to your army, but because you already have to pay the points for those, and so it's like I gotta pay the three command points and the points. But so I'd have all that. I'd have three units of biovores. I think I would actually put sporocysts on the table as well as fortification so they could pump out more spore mines. I gotta do it once, right? Oh yeah, and bring like a, is it the harpy or hive crone that that bombs spore mines as well? Essentially make a whole list that's nothing but spore mines and then the rest of it is ripper swarms and like maybe lictors or something, three lictors to actually grab objectives and, and, just, and the HQ choices would be who cares. Two bird lords, I don't know, two tyranid primes just to min out the points. But it could be fun, it could be fun. It, I, I don't know if it'd be fun actually, it'd probably be 
really bad, but it could be interesting to watch. And I do actually have a big box of spore mines, so I think I could have a lot of them on the table. And it's more just like a mind game for the opponent. Like, what do I do? I, I don't want to charge these things, and they're all over the place, and they're all these... These three biovores shot and two of them missed, and I have two individual units of one spore mine. I was like, what do you do? Okay, I guess I gotta split fire and hope to kill them both. Otherwise, they're gonna float into me and explode and do mortal wounds everywhere. Maybe it'll turn out to be like this top tier list that we just never thought of. I doubt it. Michael McDonald, 646. Hello, Matt. Hope everyone is well. Just two short questions. First question, ever thought of doing a statistics page for wins, losses? Who went first? Match type. Not really. That's not really our style. As much as we are competitive to each other, um... It's not really our style to try to keep track of all that stuff. And we're all constantly, the meta is constantly changing. So that thing, as soon as, as soon as it's been up for a few months, it's just kind of useless information. Second question, at what points cost do you feel 40K is best balanced? Um, there's no level that is best balanced because the armies are not balanced. But um, it, we play at 2,000 points and 1,000 points. Uh, I did my first incursion battle reports this past week and I loved them. It felt like a different game and it changed the, the balance for sure. Um, but I don't know if like it rebalanced the game or it just it was a different balance. So we play at 2,000 and 1,000. Uh, the game can totally be played at 1,500. There is the, the, the points cost of things have gone down so much over the years that there's more and more models on the table to the point of being almost too many. Um, so you can totally play at 1,500 points and that would be sufficient. Demon Arrows, hi Matt, I've really enjoyed the Learning 40k series, are more on the horizon. Sorry for the boring, where are my videos questions? No, I don't have any plans to make more of those right now. Um, but we'll see, maybe in the future. Silencer979, so I just gotta check my time. Where's my stopwatch? Oh, my daughter's doing okay. She's just holding something to her chin, but she's smiling. Probably gonna need stitches though, just so you know. Oh yeah, we're good, we're good. We're a little over halfway done. Hopefully I can get through all the questions. Uh, where are we, where are we, where are we? Silencer979, hello Matt, aka Herr Spielmeister. What does that mean? I don't know. Air Spielmeister? I hope you are doing fine. You guys are doing a great job broadening my entertainment immensely. Well, thank you. And I am doing fine, thank you. I have two questions. A private one, I understand if you do not want to answer, and a business one. One, private one. If I remember correctly, you have four kids. You do remember correctly. We have three, and think about a fourth one. Would you say the fourth child changed your life that much? I mean, from an organizational point of view, as much as concerning your personal freedom. You know, time for yourself, exclusive time with your wife, etc. Oh, that's a good question. Um, organizationally wise, it obviously makes you more outnumbered. Um, oh, that's, that's a hard question to answer because I find it's not the number of kids, but the, the, their personalities. Like, for example, our third kid, uh, Lizzie, or she's, she's five turning six soon, right? Yeah, five, she's five now turning six soon. She was pretty easy at first, and one of our best sleepers, and so that made life easier. Whereas um, our firstborn, Elijah, he was a rough sleeper, and on our fourth child, she was a rough sleeper at first. She was very colicky, and so that made it very hard. So I think it really comes down to the child. Like, different, there's a reason that parents have different opinions on these things, is because regardless of who they are, their children are gonna be different than each other. Each other. So there's genetics, of course, so that influences what a child is going to be. Um, but there's also just you know who they are, which is something that's partly nature, partly nurture, obviously. And so some of them are, it's nothing about you that made them a better or worse sleeper. There are things you can do, of course, to improve their sleeping, but sometimes there's nothing you can do to make them a better or worse sleeper. And so it really comes down to that. Esme has been interesting because, and it's also like how much, um, there's different levels of attention that different kids need. Some of them are content to play with toys by themselves. 
Uh, others want to not play with toys and play with people. And that can be harder for parents because it takes more of their time. And it might sound like, it's, well, if you should play with your kids. It's like, well, then you've never been a parent. It's, there's, there's a lot of time sinking into them. They're, they're def it's definitely a sacrifice to have kids. A wonderful sacrifice and definitely worth it. And I recommend it to any capable person to get married and have kids and have a family. Um, how many kids you have, that's obviously personal choices there. So I'd say third to fourth is definitely not the biggest of the changes. Zero to one obviously is the biggest change, going from no kids to kids. Uh, one to two was a big change. Number three wasn't that hard, but she was not that difficult and still continues to be probably our easiest child. And then our fourth one has been, it is just, I, I, it's hard to imagine what life would be like without her. She's four now. So it's also the spacing of the kids too. Like are your kids all under the age of five? Well, adding a fourth is difficult. But if they're like spread out, 10, seven, four, and now you're talking about having a fourth one, well, that's gonna be different. Maybe easier, because now your older kids can do stuff for themselves. Maybe harder, because there's a bigger gap between the kids and you haven't had to change diapers for a while. So it's not an easy answer. So it, it, it really comes down to the personality of the kids. It's a bit of a, a Russian roulette, if you will, a rolling of the dice. Um, but out of all of them, I'd say no, it's definitely not as big a change as, as the other ones, but still a lot of extra responsibility and work. So like we could have um, been, like she's potty trained now, she's still, uh, it's, but that's just a recent thing over the past year. And so, whereas like uh, our third was potty trained a couple years ago, so we could have stopped changing diapers until then. This is the first year where I feel comfortable doing things like planning camping trips, you know, once the pandemic stuff is passed and we're allowed to go places. Um, before that, you know, their sleep was so bad that you don't want to go somewhere else and sleep. So, yeah. Yeah. Hope that helps. Two, why are you not showing the Star Wars tabletop? I think its name is Star Wars Legion. I understand that there are games which are not getting that many clicks. However, I would assume that Star Wars could attract a bigger audience due to its obvious popularity. Honestly, I would start right away with a little campaign to give it a kickstart. Um, I've already talked about that. Uh, you'd be surprised, actually. Uh, a X-Wing at its height, we were playing it and barely anybody was watching. And you, people might say, well, it's the way you did it, but I, I don't think it's that. I, 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 there's certain types of games that just attract different kinds of viewers or attract viewers at all. And I, the Star Wars X-Wing didn't really. Now, Star Wars Legion might attract more, but once again, it's just the investment of time. We, we, we're a small business and we only have so much manpower, and so it's just not something that we can do right now. <sighs> GBC, let's see, all right, we're doing okay. I'm gonna switch over, sorry, I'll do GBCs because I started to say it, I don't want you to leave you hanging there. I'm gonna switch over to the ones that were left on YouTube. I don't wanna just go through the ones on our website and I'll come back to these ones. GBC 343, hi Matt, I hope you are well and auspicious. Thank you. I was just wondering, I noticed a while back due to various reasons, you and Mini Wargaming experimented with different video formats and delivery to help boost memberships. I found those interesting, though I know they were controversial. Well, controversial as video formats can come. There's people that didn't like them and people that did. Will we be seeing any further experimentations or changes in style of the future? No, we experimented with it. People didn't like it. We didn't like it. It was a lot more work and people are just, they're more interested in the personality than all the format stuff. That's what we've discovered. Uh, it's not quantity over quality because we do a lot and we don't worry about the editing aspect of it as much, uh, but we think it's quality of producers is more important than quality of the editing. And I think you see that in the channels that are popular tend to focus more on the, the um, personalities. And of course, there's editing stuff in there as well. But think about it, the most well-edited video, if it has boring personalities, you're not gonna care. Whereas in a video that has no editing with an interesting personality, you will care. So obviously personality trumps anything else in there. 
And so that's just what we focus on. And because of the quantity of stuff that we do, we have to kind of be careful of all the editing aspects of it. Okay, let's go to some of them from actual YouTube, not from our site. Uh, Zedni. Hey, DM Master Matt, I don't know if this is too personal of a question or one you can't answer, but where is Vito? Just haven't seen him a lot. You know, Vito no longer works here. So that was a few months ago. Two months ago? Three months ago? So uh, we wish him the best, but he no longer works at Mini Wargaming. Desiree Buckhurst. Hi, Matt. I'm working on an only squig army. That's kind of fun. Apart from some wizard grots, of course, you need some backup. I was wondering what you th your thoughts about are including some of the Forge World models, such as the Gaba and Colossal Squig. They're not worth their points, but they're cool models. Because the, the Mangler Squigs just outperform the Colossal Squigs so much. But I love the Colossal Squigs. So I would bring them in because they look cool, but they're not going to be as efficient and powerful as your Mangler Squigs. So... Yeah, an extra Mangler Squig is, if you're playing competitively, and you kind of need to with, with uh, nothing but Squigs because they're not super high tier, um, a Mangler Squig with a Loon Boss on top and then another Mangler Squig is, is very powerful, is very good. Wakshani, question for Mr. The DM. You can answer this for both the Tyranid and the Genesis are called if you like. If you could add one or more new units to the army, what would they be like? I would love for the Tyranids to be totally scrapped and redone from scratch. Every last unit, except maybe the Haro specs. I want them to look more like the Zerg from StarCraft. I want them to be more organic and less holding guns. So I don't care if you add units. I want them all redone. Every last one of them needs to be redone and brought up to date and not look like they're still trying to copy the, the retro style from the 80s. I would die and go to heaven. I would, in a heartbeat, sell my entire Tyranus collection and start it from scratch if they would do that. So that's what I think for that. I don't have any specific units to add. For a Gene Center Cult... Ooh, there's already so much stuff in there. I don't think they need any more. I'm sorry, I'm not really good at just creatively coming up with new stuff to add to the army. I just want them to make the stuff that's there work well. And right now they don't. They're just, for their points, they die too quickly and don't really get their job done. New ordinary humans that were more rebels and cultists. New bugs based on squats that were in tough troops but slow moving. A new HQ of some kind. Gene Steeler driving jet skis. Whatever. <laughs> Tell us what gaps you feel exist and how you'd fill them if you could. Yeah, I think it's more the, the rules of the Gene Steeler cults and the look of the Tyranids. I would, I would totally redo. Bruce Cozine, Mr. Master of Games. Are you going to make a what you need to start playing kill team? Trying to slowly get my buddy into tabletop games. No plans, but I know that that series does well, so eventually I'll probably come back to that. Stan Richardson. Oh, no, that's to Steve. Jake Dog, Master Game Maddie. Please wish me a happy birthday because the day you read this will be my second birthday. Your second birthday. So you're two years old. <laughs> happy second birthday, Jake Dog. Freddie Oyola Jr. Hey, oh, no, that's to Steve. Um, oh, I'm not going to read that username. Um, because it is a swear word, so I'm just going to leave that. I'll just read your question, and if you recognize it, then you know it's you. Question for Matt, is the type of terrain significant for your enjoyment of games? I personally prefer ruins, urban, or too industrial to things like forests and swamps. Um, the type, no. The variety, yes. And how cool it looks, yes. So I can't say I like urban over forest. If I play a bunch in urban, I'm going to want to play in forest next. So I like variety of terrain. I like to play in Arctic and in desert and in jungles and in urban and in mixtures of all of those. Or lunar or underground and caverns and lava and death worlds and alien trees and uh, that kind of stuff. So I like variety. It's not so much individually what they are. It's more the variety of what they are. 
Uh, Jake Dog again. Good day, Mr. GM. Games Master Matthew, the master of games. A team at Mini Wargaming have been chosen to star in a new movie. Your job is to choose who plays which characters. The movies are Star Wars, ideally the original trilogy. These are always weird games because I can never come up with them. I'm not, I'm not creative in that way. Oh, jeez. So I, I, this makes me think like Family Guy when they did a parody of Star Wars. Like which, who was H, like who's the Darth Vader? And who's the Emperor? And who's the Luke Skywalker? I picture Luca, of course, is the Luke Skywalker, Luca Skywalker. Um, and Steve would be Obi-Wan, because I get to see him mentoring Luca, totally patient all the time. Uh, I picture Dave being Darth Vader, and then I would be the Emperor. Maybe Josh would be the Emperor. Yeah, Josh would be the Emperor. And then I would be, um, I don't know, what would I be? C-3PO. There you go. The protocol droid. <laughs> okay. I think we're actually going to have time to get through all the questions. We might get through questions before we run out of time. Going back to the ones on our site. Fuzzlet. Hey, Matt. You used to play the Gits a little while ago. Have you had a chance to read over the new Jaws of Mork rules? If so, would you love to know your thoughts? I have not, unfortunately. Is that the one that's in the White Dwarf? I'm not sure. I've been playing Squigs at 2K for a while now, having a lot of fun. These new rules seem like they'll add a nice little bit of flavor into an already fun playstyle. I do need to check those out, but uh, I have not seen them, so I'm sorry. Flavathat, hey Matt, what advice do you have for content creators who are just starting out? Oh boy. Um, depends on the purpose of you being a content creator. Are you trying to make money, or are you doing it for fun, or is it a little bit of both? Like, are you seriously hardcore wanting to quit your job and do this full time? Um, or are you just doing what you want to do? If it's seriously hardcore, I have to say something that you're not going to like. you got to do 40K. That's just what it comes down to. Unless you can find some game designer that will pay you to make the videos, and that's how you make your money, you got to make 40K. And that's what it comes down to. You need money other than YouTube revenue. YouTube revenue will not get you anywhere on its own. You need to have tons of views before it would even be good for a single person income. Like our YouTube revenue is, is an okay single person income. That's it. And then let's think about all the videos and views that we get and that's all it is. Uh, it covers, basically covers the rent of living here or of, of being here. But if we were working from home in the basement, then it would be like, yeah, this is good income. But it takes all the videos and all the views that we've been getting to get that kind of revenue. So you need a secondary revenue. Patreon is a good place to start, but will only get you so far because Patreon's altruistic. In other words, you only get people signing up who are just trying to support you. Whereas we try to create, a, like the vault, for example, we have a lot of people who are vault members to support us, but we also have a lot who pay for it because they want the content that's in there. So you need to consider how you're going to monetize your stuff. Whether it's you put stuff behind a paywall, or whether you get heavily into merchandising, or maybe you have some other skills, like you're good at sculpting, or you're good at 3D design, and so you make 3D models for people to print, and you sell those on a Shopify store, or an Etsy store, or you paint commissions on the side, and so you use your YouTube channel to promote that. Or you have a brick and mortar store that you can sell stuff online, sell stuff online, so you use your YouTube channel to promote that. You need to think, if you're on the side of money making, how am I going to monetize this? And do not think about YouTube advertising. You don't have any control over it, and if whatever comes in, comes in, but you need to have something you have control over. Products you create, whether it's um, uh, tutorials that you can sell, like in a digital format or a hard copy format, or services that you offer, or something. You gotta find things that you can sell and then kind of look at your YouTube channel as a way to drive traffic to those sales methods. 
That's exactly what you need to do. And whether it's a vault-like thing, whether it's a um, digital products, physical products, whatever happens to be, you need to do one of those. Otherwise, you're gonna be doing it for fun and make a tiny bit of money on the side. Pa like I said, patron will only get you so far and uh, YouTube revenue will only get you so far. There's very few people, very few content creators, period, on YouTube that can look to Patreon and be like, yeah, that's my income. Um, they do exist, but there's not a lot of them. And in a small market like miniature wargaming, it's even less. And yeah, 40K, I'm sorry. I, I know that you might want to play other games, but you, I, I would, if I were to start a new, if I were to start from scratch, I would focus, and I, you know, I was worried about making money with it, I'd focus just on 40K. I'd want to play other games, but I'd focus just on 40K. Also, from Flavithat, when the Gene Sitter Cult and Tyranids get their new codexes, would you like to see some interconnectedness? Well, we technically already do. They all have the Tyranid keyword. Would I like to see more interconnectedness? Sure. It'd be cool if some of the stratagems worked both ways. Um, I'm not sure how else they'd interconnect them, but it would be neat to see some of that, for sure. Thanks for the amazing amount of content. Well, thank you. Donnie777. Hi, Matt. Have you read or seen the new Size of the Emperor book that came out recently? It has a chapter returned to Sotha with Call to find the Pharaohs, etc., etc. Basically, the chapter has Gene Sitter Calls infested into their chapter serfs. And I was thinking maybe even Marines, although this book doesn't lean that way. So I wonder what your opinion on it. So I have not read that, but now you've piqued my interest and I might go check that out. I was wondering your opinion on if they could. And second, could you do a list of Gene Sitter Cult and Nids versus all Primaris size? I have always wanted to read Battle Reflect the Fall of Sotha or the Final Stand of the Coffin, another size book. Um, I'm pretty sure Gene Sitter Cults can't infect Space Marines just because of their transhuman physiology. Well, we've never seen it happen, so there's no precedent. Um, it doesn't mean they can't kill them, obviously. But uh, yeah, so I, I don't think so. Uh, I, we haven't even really seen genes that are called infect. Like, I've seen them infect Tau. Obviously, all sorts of humans and other type non-human races. But I've never seen it happen to Eldar. And maybe you can point, like, somebody can point out a book or a story where it does. And I've never seen it happen to space marines. And heck, I don't think I've ever seen it happen to orcs. I think technically they could, but then the orcs just wouldn't care. <laughs> or their own psychic powers would kind of overwhelm it. So it's usually humans and Tau are seem to be the two that, that get infected by that. Howzam3, Game Master Matthew. I was just starting, I just started a small group up here in Alaska for 40K. We will be doing a crusade style format for all of winter, so six months probably, LOL. And one of the members wants to run Gene Sitter Calls and Tyranids. Any quick tips for him when it comes to play styles or tactics? I think he is getting to start collecting boxes for both. Thanks a lot. Um, like I said, Gene Sitter Calls are tough right now, so he's playing on hard mode. So he's got to kind of go into it knowing he's the underdog. Other than that, um, there's a lot of good things for them that you can do. But the problem is if you're starting small and building up, not all of them are available to you. So like right now, Ridge Runners are good because if you, you get the Blood of Ball book, Psychic Awakening book, because it has, it has some good upgrades for, for them. Uh, so like Ridge Runners with heavy mining lasers are good. Acolytes are good. Aberrants are not. It used to be Aberrants were good. Now you, Aberrants are two points heavy. So only get them if you really like them. But Acolyte hybrids are, are where it's at. They're just, they're just a, a good all-around unit for if you're looking at the best stuff inside of the Gene Sitter Calls book. Bikes are great. They're cheap. They're fast. They get minus one to shoot them. They grab objectives. And they even have some stratagems to give them a bit of a boost as well. So bikes, Acolytes. I stay away from Gene Stealers. If you're playing Gene Sitter Cults, stay away from Gene Stealers. They're just not that good. The Patriarch is good, but the Gene Stealers themselves are not because... They don't get any of the benefits of the cult creeds. All they get um, compared to a Tyranid from Tyranids is ability to cult ambush, so like deep strike, which is cool, but you can use your acolytes for that, and they, they basically function the same way as gene stealers, except they're, they're, they're cheaper. 
so you can bring a lot more of them. Um, and like the, the 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 vehicles are fine. The Imperial Guard stuff, like that, to me, that's kind of a separate sub-faction of the Gene Center cults. Like, if you're going to get that stuff and you're going to focus on it, you might as well play Imperial Guard. Uh, it's cool to be able... If, I like that stuff because it's more like if I'm playing lots of Gene Center cults and I want to play it differently, I can grab the Imperial Guard collection and I can mix it in and call that something different. But they're not really what people will bring if they're playing Gene Center cults to be competitive. Keller Morphs are awesome. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd say there. So you start The, the Get Started Collector boxes actually are pretty solid for what you get in them. They give you Acolytes, Bikes, and a Ridge Runner. So if you get several of those boxes, like three or four, that's a really good start for your army. You'll have to still flesh it out with some HQs and other Elites, but it's good to go. Tyranids, on the other hand, um, there's a lot of choices there. What's good right now, obviously Gaunts are good because they're good for grabbing objectives and they're super cheap. Gene Stealers are great. Um, for your HQs, the Swarm Lord's solid, but he's not that you, know, you don't want to really bring him at first because he's not going to be good in smaller points games. So your more core ones would be Neurothropes and Broodlords. Zonethropes are really good as long as you bring them in squads of 4+, plus, then they, they can really shine. Uh, Lictors are awesome because they can do all your secondary objective grabbing. They're super cheap. They can pop up around the table. And um, Hiveguard... If you're looking for shooting stuff, Hiveguard and Exocrines and Tyranifexes are all pretty solid. But Tyranifexes are hard to fit in smaller games. Hiveguard and Exocrines are more like a mid-sized game things. Uh-oh. The comment got cut off. Oh, we do have a bunch more comments. I somehow put this... I put this paper away before I was done, so I got a few more. Which is fine because I still have, well, only three more minutes. So let's just see if we can get through the rest of these. So, quick fire time. Thermosphere 428. Hey Matt, two questions. First, will we ever get another Watchers and Death narrative campaign? Yes, eventually, probably. Maybe. I don't know. I don't have one planned, but it's definitely one I want to do a sequel to. It's probably been my favorite of all the narrative campaigns you've done ever done, just alone by setting and the lore you created for them. I know it probably didn't have the best view counts. It's Age of Sigmar, so of course not. And with GW's rapid-fire release schedule, you guys probably don't have time, but I would like to say I'd like to see it myself. Second, will you guys ever be covering more Warcry or Kill Team? Yes, but no current plans, but it's definitely not off the, the table. Um... Yeah, try to do a Path to Glory Warcry. I also know that Warcry and Kill Team definitely don't rake in the views, but it would still be super nice. But they also don't take as long to film, so it's okay that they don't have as many views because you can get more of them done in the same amount of time. So there's a bit of economy there. Bard at heart. Terminators have been shifted to 3 plus save and roll... Should have shifted to 3 plus save and roll 2d6. It's probably in response to something Steve said, but I totally disagree because the last thing I want to watch my opponent do after I wounded him 15 times is go save, save, save. Like... I don't care how powerful it is, it's just annoying to watch that many rolls over and over and over again. The game already has too many re-rolls. Like you hit, re-roll, wound, re-roll, save, re-roll, damage, re-roll, stratagem, re-roll, do it again, re-roll. It's just too many rolls and it bogs the game down. So please know, don't give another reason to roll these things one at a time. Smiling Kira. Hey Matt, Skaven really bring fun and uniqueness to Warhammer Fantasy Age of Sigmar due to their randomness. In your opinion, should Games Workshop bring that faction to Warhammer 40k? Space Skaven! Sure, they could use more Xenos factions. There's obviously plenty of room in the galaxy for them, so yeah, why not? By the way, do you think Games Workshop should add a new faction to Warhammer 40k in the 9th edition or no? Yeah, totally. If yes, other than Squat, what type of faction should they add? I, you know, new Xenos factions I'm always on board for. Also, just um, factions like, what about the humans who aren't really fond of the Imperium but aren't Chaos? Can we have, like, brigands? Uh, warlords? Like, they don't have to necessarily be evil humans, it's just like... Like Planetary Defense Force, uh, Adeptus Arbides, Arbites, whatever, the, the police force, like things like that. 
uh, it would be cool to kind of flesh out more human stuff too, because all we have for humans is Imperial Guard. That's it. I know we got Sisters of Battle, but that's like they're they're almost superhuman, like um, the Space Marines, and we got Space Marines, which are not technically human. Um, but I mean, like just the plain old humans, we got Imperial Guard and like some Inquisition stuff. So they, they, there's a ton of gaps there. Like there's got to be places out in the galaxy where there's. 20 planets owned by this gangster warlord who does not pay his tithes to the Imperium and they don't bother to go and wipe him out because they got bigger fish to fry. And so you can have that be a force and it can be more ragtag. Like I think of the Gene Cult stuff, that one of the things I love about Gene Cult is the aesthetic of the models. They're ragtag, they're not this perfect force. Their vehicles are the mining equipment vehicles that they have. We need more of that. I want more of that, please. Or more Xeno species would be cool too. Fleshing out Xeno species like the Vespids and the Crute, bringing them into, they can still work with the Tau, but kind of bringing them into their own, even just supplements would be nice. So there's lots of potential for new ones. And if you think, well, that's gonna to be too much for them to balance, the game is already ridiculously imbalanced, so why not come up with cooler and newer models rather than just redoing more and more Space Marines? Please. <laughs> we already got enough Space Marines. Plasky. Hey Matt, I've been noticing recently that the energy seems to be down on the Age of Sigmar content. Is it just because 9th edition is so fresh and new? That's probably part of it. Or are you folks falling out of love with Age of Sigmar? Um, different content producers have different opinions on Age of Sigmar. Some like it more than others. I still love it. Um, it, it comes and goes depending on what's being focused on. So I think it's just a, you're going to see that in all the games and all the factions. And each content producer individually will have their ups and downs. We haven't seen Battletone reviews since Seraphim, and we had all comments about the General's Handbook 2020 changes and updates rolled into a battle report. It's, that's more a time issue. They've, Games Workshop has been coming out with so much stuff that it's hard for us to actually keep up with doing all the reviews and keep on top of all of our content. That's been tough. I said the 40K has been best conversion rate for vault memberships. When you folks produce such amazing AOS content in the past, it's a little disappointing to see the energy dip. And I get it. I totally get it. It's, it's, it's a constant balancing thing. And it's impossible to make everybody happy. If we focus more on Age of Sigmar, we'll get more complaints from the 40k community. And no matter what we do, we'll get complaints from people that we're not covering other games. And that's just, people want to see what they want to see. And I get that. I, I have the same opinions when I watch movies and TV shows. I'm like, oh, I wish there was another season of this. I wish they didn't make another season of this. Stop, making, stop breaking one little book up into three movies, Hobbit. You don't need three movies for that one little book. Can we make more Lord of the Rings movies? Split them up and make them even longer. I, we all have our opinions on what we want to see. And... And fortunately, the world is run by what we can afford to do, and, um, and that's, that's basically what we have to base everything off of. Two more questions. Gatsby, hey Matt, only been a member for a few months here and was wondering if you guys run any form of theme, narrative game for Halloween. Some years we do. We don't have any plans for it this year. It's just not going to fit in the schedule. And lastly, Big Mikey, or as uh, Josh likes to call you, Large Michael. Matt, have you guys ever considered selling off some of the older stuff in the studio's collection for newer, more relevant kits, or would the labor investment eat up to all the money? Yes, we have, and that's something that we're going to be probably doing because we have a lot of inventory just sitting there. A lot of it doesn't get used. Some of it's old and ugly, and you know people could repaint it or whatever they want to do. So yes, and just general thoughts on the new Marine and Necron codices. Too much time for now. Uh, the Necron one looks interesting. The Space Marine one, I honestly haven't looked at much. I've been very fortunate enough that most of my 40K games have not been against Space Marines, so I really don't know just how ridiculously powerful they are now. I just know that they're ridiculously powerful. <laughs> That is all the time I have for today. Thank you so much for joining me on my sit and talk. Remember next week is Josh and Cullen. Leave your questions for them in the comments below. Thanks for watching. Happy working.